zone. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Hard Country, released April 1st, 1981. It was written by Michael Caine. But not that Michael Caine. Based on a story by Caine and Michael Martin. And not that Michael Martin either. Wait, there's more than one Michael Martin? Probably. <laughs> it's, a, it's a common name. But whichever one you were thinking of is a different guy. It's not your buddy down the street. You yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's directed by David Green and released by Associated Film Distribution. Not, not David Gordon Green. Right, not that David Green. But yes, that Associated Film Distribution. It's legal reasons that two yeah. companies can't be called that. The film was based on Michael Martin Murphy's popular country western song of the same name. Do you remember the last film that we had that was based entirely on a bad song? Oh, um... Shoot, is that one... The mid- midlife crisis one. Uh, Middle-aged crazy. That's right. Mm. But it wasn't originally based on a song. It was originally based on a 1978 Esquire article by Aaron Latham about the new urban cowboy. Do you remember the last film we covered adapted <laughs> from Aaron Latham's 1978 Esquire article about the new urban cowboy? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I don't remember it. <laughs> urban cowboy. Oh, I should have thought of that. Shoot. That was an obvious one, huh? Michael Caine was hired to put a script together and Warner Brothers picked it up, but dropped it when it was announced that the article's author had co-written a script based on the same article in production at Paramount with Travolta in the lead. This script eventually landed at Marble Arch Productions, the production arm of Lord Grade's Associated Communications Corporation, which merged with Thorn EMI to form Associated Film Distribution. To save money, they shot mostly in Bakersfield, dressed as Texas. But to be fair... Bakersfield is the Texas of California. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> but they did have some second unit on location with, um, they shot in Midland. Hmm. The plan was to rush the film into theaters in the summer of 1980 alongside Paramount's film. It had already run over schedule when, unfortunately, their cut of the film contained two F-bombs, earning it an automatic R rating from the MPAA. That seems like a quick fix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well... AFD removed one fuck from the film, and the rating was adjusted to PG, but as we've mentioned on the show before, to avoid the R, you can have one F-bomb, but it cannot specifically refer to a sex act, and because the F-bomb they left in the cut was a sexual reference, the rating was revoked, and they had to recall 500 prints from distribution, and then wait 90 days to resubmit for a new rating, Wow, which pushed back the release date further. Wow. That is... I don't think that's the rules anymore. I don't think that there is a 
a minimum window. A minimum. Well, and if it is, it's a short turnaround for when you can submit again. Because I swear to God, when we were doing Max Payne, we submitted that thing a bunch of times. I in think. A row. We, I think yeah, we did on pretty, extra pretty quickly. Yeah, the same with Devil. I, I had to keep running copies over yeah, to them. Yeah. Was yeah. it the one that was like on the at the back door of the Galleria? Yeah, it was so weird. You had to yeah. take oh, the yeah, free elevator up. <laughs> right. The MPAA is in a mall. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> and and apparently they they are really really worried about people coming in the front door. So they have you go through a freight elevator. Yeah, nobody even answers the door. Like, they won't even get up from the desk to tell you. They just point around, and you're like, what? Literally just go to the shipping entrance? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's very weird. But yeah, when we did extract, it probably went back three or four times, and I did it all in the same week. So it wasn't a 90-day waiting period. For sure. They were probably just like, don't waste our time. And also, we were well in the realm of being able to submit this online. I don't know why we had to drive over DVDs every day. I know. (laughs) Or just mail a DVD even. Yeah, I mean, it would be. They don't need a DCP to check this every time in their theater. You can tell what's in the movie and what's not from a screener. I think we did send DVDs, though. I don't think we sent DCPs. I don't remember. Either way. We open with Kyle Richardson, as played by Jan Michael Vincent, working at a factory, galvanizing and weaving chain link fences. He seems to be choking on the fumes from the machine as he pushes metal scraps into the feeder. His boss rolls up in a golf cart and shouts at him to scrape it off, whatever that means. Scrape him off, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a that good is... friend of mine once told me, scrape him off, Claire. I don't know what that's from. Scrooged. Oh. Um, I think that to sc- scrape it off, you the, the metal, when you melt it, um, like all the, the impurities and sludge and stuff kind of comes to the top and you got to like, scrape that off so mm. that's not getting in the the cream the, of the crop onto the fences yeah that makes sense it's where the galvanized butter comes from yeah <laughs> delicious <laughs> kyle asks if he can have a chat but his boss rolls away before he can explain that he thinks he deserves a raise we cut to jody as played by kim basinger in her first feature film working in a call center it seems like she works for a 411 type company that provides information to callers. An angry customer is complaining that everyone at the call center is useless and no one can help her with her problem. Basinger's face is so tan here that it looks like she doesn't even have any eyebrows. And it changes the entire shape of her face like I almost didn't recognize her at first. I mean, I think that her, yeah, I guess, I guess it's because she's tan, but her hair is just super blonde. Right, mm-hmm. but her, her eyebrows are very, very light blonde, yeah. and her face is bright red. Like, it's 150 degrees wherever they're shooting this. It, Bakersfield sounds yeah. about right. <laughs> the first collar hangs up on her, and a second collar is just a pervert. What size bra do you wear? Like, he has any idea what bra sizes mean. Like, he's just listening <laughs> for the letters. He doesn't know anything. And now it's her turn to hang up. We cut back to the locker room at the fence factory where paychecks are being handed out. Kyle tries again to discuss the promotion with his boss, but he doesn't get anywhere. His check is $237.50, which is more than I expected, based on the fact that this is supposed to be a terrible dead-end job in 1980. But we don't know how often these... How, do we know how often these <laughs> checks are coming in? This is his annual paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, in 1984, uh, they make a joke that Ghostbusters are only paid what eleven thousand five hundred dollars a year mm. as a salary so i mean even if this is like a monthly pay for galvanizing fences that seems pretty high good. <laughs> well no that's not high if it's monthly i mean well i remember looking the conversion rate up between then and now it's some somewhere around three so i mean three times what'd you say 230 or something yeah that's still not a lot 
No, well, I mean, seven hundred bucks a week is is not a crap job. But, but the, no, the, but seven hundred bucks. What I'm saying is, if you're saying it's a monthly check, yeah. seven hundred bucks for a month is not great. Right, but I'm saying Ghostbusters get paid, you know, maybe double that, and Ghostbusters are all supposed to be like metaphysical doctors that are well they're they're also the ghostbusters sorry i don't know why we're on this ghostbusters tangent <laughs> why but not? they're also living in a very high population density where the cost of living is really high that's where true. i feel they're living in a in a very low cost of living you know, so like this community. is an even higher paycheck for him C- correct that, yeah. that's what i'm getting to yeah i get it this job is definitely not worth 11.5 a year we get a lot of those second unit establishing shots from actual Texas, and then we see Kyle driving down a dirt road in Bakersfield. But you know, I wonder. <laughs> getting back to the Ghostbusters paycheck, <laughs> yeah. yep. they, they live at the station. Does Does Winston live there too? I think they all do. They all They all live there, right? Well, I I guess at least the initial three do. I don't remember seeing him wake up there. Yeah, that's true. So I was, I was and he to might th- also be part time. I don't know. Yeah, I was trying to think of what what living expenses. I mean. Did some of, if he lived there, did some of his paycheck go to the rent? Yeah, that's true. Because, I, I mean, <laughs> Winston, is Winston is the one who had a house. <laughs> Correct. Because <laughs> uh, up until they moved into the firehouse, the Ghostbusters were living on the campus right. of Columbia University. Well, well, uh, Dan Aykroyd had a house. Did he? Oh, you know, well, because he, 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 yeah, <laughs> everybody's got three mortgages nowadays. <laughs> Please leave all of this in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Man, can you imagine how fucking long our Ghostbusters episode is going to be? <laughs> we're, we're breaking down their page. I'm already sorry. <laughs> Michael Martin Murphy's song, Hard Country, begins to play, and it literally starts with a line about galvanizing fences. So they took yeah. it very literally. It's, it's not even just that line. It is the re- whole rest the of whole, it. Yeah, like the whole <laughs> next like two, three, four lines of the song. It's we're matching word for picture every step when your of the friend way. pretends he's a bowling ball and your girlfriend wants to be a flight attendant it's <laughs> <laughs> not in the lyrics <laughs> a bowling ball did you miss that part <laughs> no. okay we'll get there don't worry i think he says cannonball no it's a bowling ball first oh. and then it's a cannonball he evolves he has many impressions they're all round <laughs> Kyle pulls into a rich neighborhood past new construction to his brother Royce's home. He's pointed toward the backyard pool by their housekeeper, and Kyle pays back $20 of some prearranged loan with his brother. It's a smaller payment than he usually makes, but he blames a gift that he bought for Jody. Royce tells him that he should marry her, and Kyle lies that he has a promotion coming, so Royce jokes that maybe he should be the one borrowing money. Royce's wife, who's just credited as Royce's wife, arrives home, and she has been shopping all day and immediately collects the $20 that Kyle put down on the table beside Royce. Royce invites Kyle to stay for dinner, but he says that Jody is cooking them a meal, and then we cut to Jody running back to her car outside of a burger joint. At home, she starts dressing the kitchen as though she cooked the fried chicken that she just bought. When he gets home, he compliments her recipe. Mmm. Boy, nobody makes chicken like you do. Nobody. So she bought a side dish, and to me it looked like coleslaw. I thought it was potatoes, like maybe, mashed potatoes. But it came out of the bucket looking like coleslaw to me, and then she put it in the oven with the chicken. That's why I thought it was potatoes. <laughs> I think she's just an idiot. That's possibly you gotta true. Gotta heat up that I mean, coleslaw. I don't think the oven's on either way. It's not, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, if, you're, if your girlfriend pulls coleslaw out yeah. of the oven and it's I also cold, got us two ice creams. Why are those in there? <laughs> 
He tells Jody the same lie about an impending promotion. It's a nitpick, but the paycheck he got at work said November 18th, and the calendar on the wall here says January. So <laughs> either they already bought their calendar for next year and hung it up excitedly, or they haven't <laughs> torn a page off of this thing in almost a year. <laughs> Later, they're kissing in the bedroom, and Jody mentions that her mom invited them to dinner soon. She also tells him about a walkthrough she wants to do on a new apartment tomorrow. He tells her that the place they have is fine, and she says that she can pay half the rent on the new place if she likes it, but he doesn't want her to continue working once they're married. He follows her around the bedroom, whipping at her with a towel as he says this, and it looks like they're about to have sex when Jody mentions that they must not be going out dancing tonight. She, he totally, like, nails her in the crotch with that <laughs> I think towel. he does, it's too. It's real obnoxious. And she's laughing it off the whole time, but Ugh. he's hitting her. I don't know. It's one of those, I'm gonna laugh, but I don't like it. Right, yeah. But as soon as she mentions, oh, I guess we're not dancing tonight, Kyle is reminded of something, and then he jumps up to get dressed and insists that they are leaving to go dancing right now. They cruise over to the local honky-tonk, the Stallion, and it looks very similar to Gilly's inside, although nowhere near as big. Michael Martin Murphy is on stage performing some fast fiddle music. Somewhere near the door, there's a fake pile of poop on the floor and a sign that says, shit kickers, take it out here. Some crazy person is wailing on the shit for a while, complaining about all the problems in his life, like Arabs and his wife. It's like, yeah, I'm sure you have a lot of trouble with Arabs here in Midland, Texas. <laughs> As Jody returns from the restroom later in the night, suddenly all their friends are singing happy anniversary to you. Kyle stands at the head of the group with the most Texas gifts he could think of, a Lone Star beer bottle with a yellow rose sticking out of it. And then he has something hidden behind his back in a little box. And obviously it looks like he's holding an engagement ring. Apparently it's been one year since they met here at the bar, so she didn't even know that it was an anniversary for them. He hands her the gift from behind his back. Oh, I feel awful. I didn't get you nothing. You gave me the most wonderful year of my life. <laughs> All their friends are moved by it. She opens the box and he got her a pin? It looks like a tiny bottle of Lone Star, but as a pin so that she can like clip it onto her outfit if she wants for so, one year of service is that <laughs> yeah is that a thing like i've never heard no. of anyone giving that as a gift i mean like somebody might give a brooch but a novelty pin <laughs> no yeah that's weird i don't even know where you would buy something like that got, i mean i guess you go to the brewery for it uh or you just go up to one of those little uh machines with the little eggs that you crank, crank the thing and the egg yeah. comes out and you open it up. Oh, I got a pin. Oh, cool. And that cost him how much of his loan? 50 cents. <laughs> it's like, I normally give you $20.50, but I'm a little short this week. <laughs> well, he had to buy like six eggs before he found one that looked like a one. That's what he says the bottle looked like a one, so it's a one-year anniversary gift. I also got one of these. And he throws like one of those elastic sticky like hands. Sticky hands. <laughs> Slaps her ass with it. <laughs> seems Seems in character for this guy. I don't have to use the towel anymore perfect <laughs> on the stage michael martin murphy invites a special guest to perform he refers to her as a hometown girl and we'll learn later that she's a childhood friend of jody's who has since moved to hollywood and signed a huge record deal her name is caroline peters and she's played by country western star tanya tucker jody is ecstatic to see her friend on stage and she launches right into a song about how if there aren't cowboys in heaven that she just wants to go to texas when she dies it's kind of funny because she doesn't want to go to Texas during her life, but if she has to go somewhere when she dies, she'll settle for Texas. Like she makes the point later, I don't I this is not a place to live, but yeah. I'll come here after. 
Within the lyrics, she talks about how she'll drive across hell and half of Texas to hear Willie Wilson sing. <laughs> Coincidentally, Mr. Nelson appeared in our previous review of Michael Mann's Thief as Inmate Okla. Amazingly, when the song wraps up, she launches right into another song and we get two full-length songs in a row. Yeah, yeah. man, they were trying to fill some time here, I yeah. think. The second one is a ballad about a cheating lover, and we cut to that night at their apartment where Jody has evidently invited Caroline and her producer, Ransom Winthrop, for drinks. What time is it? They go out so late at night. I don't know. They went to bed before they went to the club. Yeah. <laughs> so it's got to be like 5 a.m. now. Yeah. I'm assuming Ransom Winthrop was like the yuppiest name that the screenwriter could yeah. come up with. Ransom? That's a name, right? Jody offers to get them beers, and Caroline readily accepts one, but the producer asks for a Perrier, like these people are going to have Perrier. He's just trying to be a dick. Yeah, and then he poo-poos all of the available drinks. He's like, no, nah, I don't want Dr. Pepper. It's gross. It's not what my doctor ordered. <laughs> Jody invites Caroline to the other room to have a chat and leaves Kyle with Ransom. Neither of them seems very excited about this. In the other room, Jody and Caroline talk about the plans they made for their futures as kids, and that of their three-friend group, that only Caroline followed her dream. Apparently, Jody's dream was to become a flight attendant. I can't pinpoint who it is that Tanya Tucker reminds me of here because I haven't seen anything else that she's acted in, but I think maybe it's Alyssa Davalos. Oh. Like, I can't figure out who it is exactly, but that's the closest I could come up with. Caroline asks about their mutual friend, Jackie, who wanted to be a cheerleader when they were young. Do you ever see Jackie anymore? No. She has two kids. And then her husband got shot in a motel with another woman. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I oh, know, that was really sad. <laughs> Is he dead? I'm assuming, yes. That, and that and I'm was... assuming she shot him. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. I, that did not occur to me. I feel like that's a crap situation, though, because it's like, well, I want help, and I want someone to earn money to help me raise these children that I have, but I also want to murder you. So it's like clashing wants. Back in the living room, Ransom and Kyle participate in a culture war. Kyle asks if he wants to play dominoes, and then Ransom says, hmm, what about backgammon? <laughs> That's what the cool people in Beverly Hills play. Backgammon, yeah. Jody asks Caroline what California's like, and she tells Jody that she couldn't make a place for herself here in Texas, even though she still loves her home state. It's a great place to be from, and it's a great place to come home to. But you gotta leave it first. Before it smothers you. The girls finally join the men in the living room, and out of nowhere, Kyle calls Ransom a celebrity asshole, even though he hasn't done anything technically rude this whole time. I don't well, know. Yeah. He's, I mean, he, he said he didn't want to drink, and he asked if they could play backgammon. Well, and then he's like, "You want to watch TV? Nope. Like, oh, you want to you want to see my truck? No. Like, like he's just kind of being a dick to everything that Kyle says. Yeah, I still wouldn't call that person an asshole, especially not to their face right there. Yeah. That seems weirdly rude we cut directly to kyle in royce's office watching an advertisement for richardson's covered wagon land on royce's television that's his mobile home lot where right. he's selling mobile homes or manufactured homes i think they call them yeah or, yes, or same thing yeah, yeah but yeah. in the film they call them manufactured homes. right and it's like a showroom i guess of of sorts yeah because it it's it is a manufactured home that he's made his office into mm. but it's got like shag carpeting and really nice fittings and a nice television because he wants to make it look like look how cool your house could well look. 1981 nice <laughs> it's pretty swag wood paneling everything's wood yeah, yeah. <laughs> love it royce tries to talk kyle into working for him because he could use another salesperson kyle repeatedly turns him down 
We cut to Jody's mother's home, where her younger sister Loretta is dancing in the living room. The mother calls them to the kitchen to help prepare dinner. As they get things ready, Jody's mother peppers her with questions about her spirituality. She wants to make sure her daughter is still a God-fearing churchgoer, and she claims to be one. We see Jody's father say grace at the dinner table, and then we cut immediately to the aftermath, where Jody is doing the dishes in the kitchen. Her younger sister says she knows all about Jody and Kyle living together, and essentially blackmails Jody into inviting her to stay the weekend sometime in the future, in exchange for keeping the secret from mom. This is where I thought the movie was going to be about Kyle cheating on Jody with her sister Loretta, but that, yeah. ne- we never go there. Well, yeah, because apparently she's supposed to be 15. Right. It, it, it hasn't stopped other characters in the 80s, though. That's true. Loretta, by the way, is being played by Daryl Hannah in only her second feature film appearance after The Fury in 1978. And what I, <laughs> I was liking about this was um, Loretta, Daryl Hannah's character, never meets Royce uh michael park's character right and their characters also never meet in In kill Kill bill Bill. yeah (laughs) kyle shares his promotion lie a third time this time with jody's stepfather loretta insists to jody that she needs to get out of here quickly maybe to dallas or houston and jody says that might not be far enough jody compliments a photo of loretta's boyfriend and asks what he likes about her my boobs we cut to jody and kyle saying their goodbyes and hopping on down the road on the road Jody shares her dreams of leaving for California. Leave Texas and go to California. Hell, there ain't nothing out there but a bunch of salad heads. The next day at work, a coworker shows Jody an ad for upcoming interviews at the local Marriott to be a flight attendant. I was so confused about this for a minute because I was like, oh, you want to come with me to the Marriott and interview? And then she gets there and she's acting like it's a flight attendant interview. I'm like, isn't this a hotel? Yeah, because <laughs> she doesn't say it's a job about flight attendants. No, she just she... says, they're interviewing at the Marriott. You want to come with yeah. me? Yeah. 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 And so, like, for the longest time, I'm like, oh, she isn't trying to get a hotel job. She's trying to get the flight attendant job. They just didn't have anything local that they where they could interview people. Well, also, when she says, like, you want to come with me, I didn't think she meant like to also interview to also interview just like you know to give her like some support or give her a ride or something Mm. we cut to her interview where she mentions that she applied to be a flight attendant in the past with another airline but she couldn't accept the position when they offered it to her apparently her father passed away and she had to stay home and help her mother raise her younger sister the woman conducting the interview asks what has changed since then and she says that her mother remarried and that she doesn't have any familial obligation now i think all of that is is borderline inappropriate uh interview questions these days yeah i don't think they would ask that but if i mean i might say if if they said oh i was accepted by braniff as a flight attendant but i couldn't take the job i might say oh why was that but that would be the extent of it i wouldn't be like what has changed since then is your mother okay what yeah well or like okay if we give you this job will you take it and is your father going to die again (laughs) (laughs) how's your current father's health yeah what about my mother don't you (laughs) well if she dies then you don't have any obligations (laughs) who cares about you your stepfather the interviewer tells her that she'd have to move to los angeles for training and she seems more than interested in that now would that have to be a permanent move just for training oh Uh, (laughs) no i i feel like uh i mean because there's obviously dallas fort worth has a huge airport yeah yeah so no i think that they just have centralized places like major hubs where they train but ironically they do have those hubs 
Because my mom was a flight attendant now, for 30 years, well, and the hub has always been in Dallas-Fort Worth. <laughs> but that's the hub for American, not right. necessarily the hub for whatever airline this was. But I would guess that it would either be Dallas-Fort Worth or Chicago O'Hare for every airline, because those are the giant airports. Probably the, those would be the hubs. But after she was trained, she would probably be based out of something local for her. Right. Yeah. Back at the Stallion that night, we spend a little time with Johnny Bob, one of Kyle's friends, who gets real excited and starts grabbing random women to kiss against their will. His friends point him in the direction of a woman across the bar who they refer to as a two-legged taco. Yeah. The woman in question kind of looks like Barry Corbin a little bit, but Johnny Bob says she's too pretty. They find another prospective lady for him, and this time he goes for it. Suddenly, a giant comes lumbering across the bar toward Kyle. He's played by Richard Mole. And this is where we learn that Kyle has a champion reputation here at the bar. If this were Urban Cowboy, Richard Mole would be Scott Glenn, and Jan Michael Vincent is obviously John Travolta. And playing the part of the mechanical bull is rampant alcoholism. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a drinking contest. Not unlike John Travolta in Urban Cowboy, Jan Michael Vincent did a lot of behind-the-scenes practice to prepare for this scene. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Before he even got the role? Yeah. I, you have no idea how ready I am. <laughs> no, no, Jan, Jan, you're supposed to lose a drinking contest. Jan! <laughs> <laughs> Jody tries to talk Kyle out of the contest, but of course it's no use. Jody takes a seat across the bar while the two men clear a bar top and prepare for the drinking contest. Ransom Winthrop shows up and sits at the table with Jody to watch whatever Kyle and this guy are doing. I don't understand why Ransom would come to this bar, let alone still be in town, Yeah. since he admits that Caroline already left and that they're going to meet up in Tucson. I mean, I think he was interested in finding Jody again, specifically. I wouldn't be surprised, but I still don't think he would come to the stallion. Well, but that's, he knows that that's probably where she is. Yeah, but if she's there, then she's definitely with Kyle. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that he couldn't get hurt. Well, yeah, apparently leave. apparently it worked. What are they doing? They're going to play cowboy. Each competitor is presented with a pitcher of beer, and they start chugging it around the same time. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the character's name, but Richard Mole's like, draw! And like that's when he starts filling the pitchers. I'm like, this is a little anticlimactic on yeah. draw. <laughs> but uh, I think that he's credited as Top Gun, I think, Richard Mole's character. Yeah. Uh, but they, they start chugging, not at the same time, but close enough, a couple seconds. Mole finishes his pitcher first, but he spills a lot of it on himself and the bar top. Yeah, and I was really bothered by this because I'm just like, oh, it's dripping down, it's dripping down. And like, he won and they're not going to say anything. But then he immediately calls him out yeah. for it. So yeah. I was glad. Hey, now look, I got a legitimate bitch here. Look, You're supposed you... to drink it, not wear it. Hey, you had your chance. Kyle challenges him to a rematch and Jody says that if this is how he's going to be, then she's leaving. In the parking lot, Ransom pulls up and offers her a ride. He offers to take her anywhere, but she just wants to drive around for a bit. He invites her out to California to stay with him and Caroline, and she thinks hard about it. One of Kyle's friends tells him that he saw Jody get into a fancy foreign car in the parking lot, and Kyle seems to know immediately that this was Ransom Winthrop. Right. <laughs> like, who else would own a foreign car? Winthrop. <laughs> Ransom starts caressing her face while they drive around, and she doesn't seem totally comfortable with it, but suddenly he's getting rear-ended by a pickup truck, and Kyle and his buddies trap him in a rectangle of vehicles moving down the road. Ransom, no doubt fearing for his life, careens off the road into a nearby parking lot, where Kyle and his buddies all take turns bashing the car from every angle. They surround the car and point guns at Ransom. 
Kyle orders Jody back into the pickup. She wanted a ride. I didn't force her. She wanted to go for a ride. Huh? <laughs> I mean, it was dark out. Hey, did you want to walk in? I was doing you a favor. <laughs> Kyle's friends ask what they should do with the yuppie, and he has a suggestion. Hang him. Hey, come on, you gotta be kidding me. You're joking, right? Hey, come on, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Hang him. Kyle's buddies string Ransom up over a streetlight and balance him on the roof of his own car. Jody comes out to plead for his life, certain he's about to murder someone here. They drive the car out from under Ransom, and he just falls to the parking lot because the other end of the rope wasn't tied tight to anything. And what does this say, though? I mean, like, the, the fact... Okay, I'm really bothered by the fact that she ever goes back to the car in the yeah. first place yeah. because why is she listening to him? She just storms off like she's a child being yelled at. Yeah. And then the fact that you think that they would actually right. do this right. is the last straw. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you you should not be with this person if that was even a remote possibility that they would actually be doing this. Kyle plays it off like it was a silly joke, but there's a few problems here. One, all these guys are drunk and they could very easily have accidentally hung this guy. Yeah. If the whole trick to the prank was to not tie this thing tight enough. Right. Uh, two, Jody seemed awfully convinced that her future husband was capable of murder. Yeah. <laughs> which is like, yeah, just walk away from that situation Mm -hmm. and three they could easily have killed this guy just by dropping him from the height of the car to a concrete parking lot yeah also though once she realizes that he's okay she's super into it yeah she's like smiling and she's laughing laughing. she's literally laughing i could not believe that i'm like oh they deserve each other man but i had a friend in high school who fell out of the bed of a truck and he got a concussion he had to go to the hospital yeah and so it's like you don't have to like hanging isn't the only way to die right they could very easily have killed this guy in a bunch of different ways here and it's essentially torture like the the, giving this guy like the fear that he is going to die yeah he could have Have he could have ptsd from this forever the boys untie ransom and let him walk back to his fucked up car and jody can't help but laugh at the hilarious prank that kyle played on both of them and why like immediately the next day the police should be knocking on right. their doors. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, Absolutely. why is that not a thing? Like, I guess Ransom's just scared shitless and, and leaves town. But, man. Because like, of the damage to the car very, alone is yeah. something that you could turn into, like, oh, well, we're going to, I'll see you in court then. Yeah. He's supposed to be from Beverly Hills. He's supposed to be a litigious person. <laughs> that night in bed, Kyle rolls up on top of Jody and she throws him to the ground because he's completely wasted. He wakes up completely naked on the floor, spooning the dog. He steps to the kitchen and puts like seven Alka-Seltzer tablets in a glass of water until it's foaming out onto the floor. Jody makes a ketchup and bologna sandwich with a Twinkie on top for him to take to work. To be fair, the sandwich didn't have a Twinkie on it. She wrapped the sandwich separately and added yeah. a Twinkie to the box. Either way, you know how he's going to eat it, right? <laughs> smash it all together. <laughs> make it a big ball. Just Ali Sheedy in the breakfast club. Exactly. Smush it in there. <laughs> The next day at the fence factory, Johnny Bob tries to talk Kyle into a dumb and dumber get rich quick scheme where they operate a worm farm, but it's going to cost a $700 investment. <laughs> no, thank you. I got worms. <laughs> That's what we're going to call it. But he already, doesn't he already sell worms? Who? Johnny Bob. I don't know that he sells worms. He's, his yeah, trailer yeah. has a big sign that says worms on it. Oh, well, maybe he moved forward with this plan. <laughs> And he talked w- some other idiot into joining him. <laughs> and at one point, he he complains about the noise, saying, you're going to wake the worms. <laughs> Is that what he said? Yes, yes. I missed the line. Oh, my God. That's great. 
We cut from here to a fancy restaurant where a string quartet is performing John Lennon's Yesterday on stage for some reason. No, I was surprised. <laughs> Very about weird that. choice. I'm like, did they get the rights to this? It turns out Royce brought them here for dinner and offers Kyle yet another job working for him. Royce tells Kyle that it's time to grow up, that he can't party like that forever, and Kyle points out, yeah, you know you miss it, though. You miss partying like I do every night. I don't understand Kyle's repeated reluctance to take his brother's offer for a job. Like I the, think it's just, you know, it's, is it brother, pride? brother bullshit, yeah. Okay, it just doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because he could use a good job, he, he he's struggling, and this seems like a good opportunity. Yeah, I think he just doesn't want to accept a favor from his brother. But Even he though, took a loan. Yeah, he, he does <laughs> owe him money already, so why might as well work for the money you're getting from yeah. your brother. Royce tells Kyle what a success he's made of himself and how proud their father would be of all his work, and Kyle stands with Jody to leave. What's the matter, little brother? Don't you want to be a success? You know, I about had enough you crawl over my back for one day. Turns out they can't even leave the restaurant because Royce strategically invited Jody's parents to dinner with them. So they're arriving just as yeah, and it they try seems to leave. Like, it seems like he did that to trap Kyle into accepting the job, which I also don't understand. Yeah, I think it was just like, well, you can't just walk out now because then you'll look bad in front of your future in-laws. So you have to sit here and listen to me offer you this job all night and you're going to look like an idiot in front of her stepdad unless you say yes. Yeah, but I like I also don't understand Royce's like insistence on trying to get him to take this job. I think it's a misery loves company situation. I guess. He's tired of watching his brother have fun every night. And he's like, come here and be fucking depressed with me. I'll pay you to be depressed. After dinner, Jody's parents offer her a ride back to the apartment where she clearly lives alone, in accordance with the wishes of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. She tells Kyle that she'll see him in the morning, wink, wink. <laughs> in bed together that night, Kyle wiggles around, uncomfortable that he's wasted a Saturday on this crappy dinner he didn't even want to go to. Jody flicks on the lights and checks his watch, and then says, Hey, we still got time. Let's get dressed and go to the stallion. Back at the bar, Johnny Bob does his impression of a bowling ball and hurls himself across the floor in a ball, knocking down patrons. He starts crawling after a woman who he knocked over, and eventually she surrenders herself to him. We cut to a diner later that night where everybody makes fun of a former acquaintance who recently had a sex change operation. Then they all start ripping on how ugly Johnny Bob's date was. They, ca they call her a sawdust angel, and it took me a minute to figure out what the hell that meant. What does that mean? I think what it means is because he knocked her to the ground in a pub, uh, in a, not a pub, in a, in a honky-tonk, oh. the floor is probably covered in sawdust, and she was making like a snow angel, but sawdust. Okay. I get it, I guess. But they all start ripping on how ugly his date was. She's so ugly, if you looked up ugly in a dictionary, you'd find her picture. <laughs> and then one of the good old boys, Dale, comes out with this gem. <laughs> Who cares what it looked like, as long as they got a hole between their legs. <laughs> Only the women are disgusted by this comment, and Jody calls him disgusting, for which he takes great offense. <laughs> What'd you say? I said, you're disgusting. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? I think you can figure it out. And I really wish she'd said, well, why don't you check that dictionary you boys were talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Dale starts shouting at her until Kyle moves to break it up. But even then, Kyle makes it sound like they were both in the wrong. Like, let's yeah. not have a fight here. Yeah. Well, Which they totally, really weren't. He's totally not defending her at all. No. He's like, why are you acting like this? It's like, because he's being awful. Yeah. 
But then she does take it a step too far because she tells Dale that she wants him to stop talking about ladies by their anatomy. And then she follows up that complaint with, Oh yeah, something else I hear. I hear that your anatomy just don't measure up. So it's like, stop talking about ladies' bodies, tiny dick. (laughs) (laughs) Jody didn't even want to go out tonight and suddenly Kyle tells her to find her own way home. He's just like, I'm going to go out with my friends and do something funny because you embarrassed us all. The boys all leave together to play a prank on Johnny Bob. And uh, Johnny Bob's landlady catches them hooking up his trailer to a truck. They claim to be Texas Rangers doing a pornography bust. And they tow Johnny Bob's trailer out onto the freeway and leave it blocking every lane of traffic. Good thing it wasn't a foggy night or something. In the morning, the police are knocking at his door, but they're lucky that they didn't just kill Johnny Bob. It also makes no sense that the cop would be the first one to knock on the door. Like, the driver's pulled up, and then they stopped their car, and then they called the police and waited for the police to get there to knock on the door. Right. Uh, Also, they should be honking, and that would be louder than someone knocking on the door. Yeah, but that's when they're knocking, that's when he gets upset, and they're like, you're going to wake the worms. You're going to wake up the worms. (laughs) That's great. You're going to wake up no damn worms. Do worms sleep? I don't know. I don't think that they do. Because they they have like four or five hearts, I think they just keep going all the they time. Just cycle through. It's like the half brain thing that sharks do. So yeah, they're a little ahead of Link at the beginning of the game. Yeah, exactly. They've already completed eight shrines. <laughs> they have two <laughs> containers complete. <laughs> Next, we cut to Kyle's place where someone is buzzing the door. Kyle throws on some underwear and answers the door to find Jody's mom. Yeah. So. First of all, what bothered me about this was, why was Jody's mom, who's like like a high and mighty holy roller, ringing the bell so furiously? Like, eh, 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 eh. I honestly think it was a test. I think she expected to find him here. Really? Well, she she probably could tell, like, even just by the car out front. Oh, you know? that's true. Like, she knew going into this, or... It, she got wind of it somewhere she knew before she walked up but i i think the whole reason she even came to this trailer was because she was like all right they think they can be slick and we're going to drop her off alone at night and then he, they're going to come meet up together mm-hmm. so i'm going to check on her first thing in the morning and make sure that they're still apart right but you know he could have come there in the morning for breakfast she doesn't yeah. know he also could have put on pants before he answered the door yeah or she could answer the door if they if they're so on intent on keeping up this ruse yeah but she doesn't, and he answers in his underwear. And uh, and next we cut to uh, moments later as Jody's mom is just following Jody around the house, lecturing her on her sins. But for whatever reason, Kyle hasn't bothered to put on any more clothes. <laughs> He's just sitting yeah. at, the, at the counter, just eating his breakfast and listening to them yell at each you other. Drinking his breakfast? <laughs> drinking his breakfast, there you go. You gave your heart to Jesus when you were nine years old. Now look at you. That's obviously not legally binding. She was a minor. (laughs) Jody declares that her love for Kyle is real and that it's not a sin, and they hug and cry together. I like your assessment of the, uh, of, of, I don't know which which sacrament it is. Communion? I don't remember. Who knows? Confirmation? Probably confirmation. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that's not legally binding. You're not an adult. (laughs) If she were 18 he'd have a case this is capital h he <laughs> i was gonna say this is how uh liar liar ends in the courtroom <laughs> she wasn't old enough for the prenuptial agreement there you go at the mailbox later jody receives a letter inviting her to flight attendant training in los angeles she needs to talk to somebody about it and unfortunately kyle's the only one here yeah 
He's already made it clear that he doesn't want her working, so of course he's not excited to hear about it. I ain't gonna leave Texas, never. Neither are you. She tells him Texas isn't the historical place that he romanticizes anymore, it's all corporations. And he suggests that the only reason that she'd want to leave Texas is because she doesn't love him anymore. Trying to appease her and change the subject, he offers to take that job that his brother offered him so that he can make more money. Essentially saying, if I can find a job I hate, can you promise not to find a job you like? He invites her to the stallion to celebrate her not pursuing this job she wants any further. She tells him she's not going to the stallion tonight or probably ever again in the future, and he leaves. That night, Johnny Bob gets super drunk and does his impression of a cannonball, this time by jumping off of the bar and just bashing himself against the barroom floor. Also passes through a table on the way. Does yeah. he? Oh, yeah, I didn't yeah. even see the table. I just yeah. saw him hit the ground. No, I mean, it, it breaks immediately yeah. and crushed below him, but yeah. We cut to Kyle and Jody in a hospital hallway. Johnny Bob fucked up his spine real good and he's going into surgery. The next day, Kyle is late to the office. The office, the fence factory. <laughs> and uh, his boss is like, hey, where's your buddy? And he just says, oh, he's not coming in today. <laughs> he doesn't say like, oh, he's in spinal surgery. Oh, he might be paralyzed. <laughs> yeah. We're not sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You'll probably see him roll in here tomorrow. Uh, he asks his boss again about the possibility of a promotion. It's like, he just fucking came in late and hung over yeah. the day after. Like, there's no, no, you don't get a promotion. And he says, why Why not? <laughs> he says, I just don't like you. I just blatantly tells him, like, yep. you won't get a promotion because I hate you. And so Kyle flips out and attacks his boss's golf cart with a shovel to get himself fired. Kyle goes to visit Johnny Bob at the hospital and tells him that the doctor said he's going to recover, but he might have a limp. And Johnny Bob tells him to get the fuck out. <laughs> and that's the end of their relationship in this movie. Yep. We never we never see Johnny Bob again. He's just like, fuck you. I'm gonna limp forever now. I'm gonna be the I'm gonna have the worst cannonball impression in the whole bar. We cut to Kyle working the new job selling manufactured homes for his brother. I can't tell if he's supposed to seem like a good salesperson or not, because Jan Michael Vincent is a terrible actor. <laughs> <laughs> but he does a mediocre job of pitching mobile homes to a couple and they leave empty handed. You know, and and I thought for sure he was going to mess up, like, the property tax. I was like, no, I feel that yeah, his, he, his he answer was, his... was correct. It depends on the size of the property yeah. and the size of the home that you put on that property. I don't think that that's accurate. Their question was, who pays it? Oh, was Not oh. how much is it. Oh, okay. Well, either way, it, he didn't <laughs> complete... You pay it. It's property taxes. <laughs> well, but that's not necessarily true because with, with mobile homes, it, it, it's tricky because... Because it's not property. You're you renting the lot. You don't necessarily own the property because it's a... It, yeah, you rent the land. And you, oh. and that's actually why they're they're kind of tricky and, and, and detrimental financially to a lot of people because the lot, the lot leases are just a crazy trap and but it actually so, turns out with manufactured homes you do have to pay property tax yeah i i, I don't know the the rules in texas or the rules i here. looked them up today because oh, i was okay. curious because um, i didn't know any of this my assumption was that they would not owe property taxes because, because they're leasing the land yeah it's basically the same as renting a parking spot you don't have to pay property tax on the parking spot. right um but apparently you do if it's a manufactured home yeah um which are categorized differently but uh but he tells them when they ask about property taxes he says well i guess that would depend on the size of the home and the size of the property or something like that which is still technically correct like well i mean i think that that's correct in terms of how much it's going to be but, but all they asked was what about it. property taxes after he told them the price i thought they asked who pays the property tax oh, okay which is it's a valid question and he does not answer mm. but he also doesn't like shit himself in the middle of this conversation like they could have made it look like a bigger fuck up 
yeah. that he didn't answer their question properly. Yeah. So I don't know what the point of even showing this was. If he doesn't do a stellar job or and he doesn't do a horrendous job. It's just like, here, he's doing this now. We didn't even need to see him talk to these people. We could have just seen him on the lot. Yeah, and it doesn't yeah, it doesn't even matter whether or not he's good at this or not. Yeah, we're not going to see these customers again. It's not like they're going to come back and complain well, that and he lied matter. about property he's, taxes. Spoiler alert, but it doesn't matter whether or not he's good at this job because other stuff's going <laughs> to happen. Yeah, this is his last shift. Jody stops by Kyle's brother Royce's office, and he's just sitting there watching porn on his TV. And for some reason, she stands for a while watching him watch porn before she knocks on the wall to uh, announce her presence. But even then, he doesn't turn it off right away. He's just like, oh, yeah, come on through. And she's like, I'm not interrupting anything, am I? And he's like, ah, I guess I'll turn this porn off. Sure, come on in. You want a drink? And she asks for a turkey and Coke, which is like, Ugh. what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> are you hitting on his brother? I don't understand. Jody tries to talk to Royce about how they could convince Kyle to move to California. And Royce can't stop winking at Jody for this whole scene. It's like he has a tick. Jody thinks Kyle would be depressed selling mobile homes, and Royce agrees, but he doesn't care. And he tells Jody that moving to California is not a realistic option. There ain't no other state but Texas. Jody doesn't understand why Royce worked so hard to talk Kyle into a job he'd hate, and Royce starts getting handsy with her. Eventually, he completely forces himself on her, and she struggles against him, screaming, until Kyle enters the office. Kyle can tell what's going on here, and he starts beating the shit out of his brother. Can he? Yeah, no, I don't think he does. I, I think the first time I watched it, I thought it was like, maybe they're, this is going, this is consented. But the second time I watched it, it seems pretty clear that she is not consenting to what's going on. Yes. But I, I feel like they could have made it even clearer if she had said something like, like, oh, don't, don't beat him up. Like, uh, he just got the wrong idea or something instead of immediately saying it's not what it looks like which is the most suspicious thing you can say in well, this situation. Well, I yeah, I agree with that, but I, so you're but you're saying that Kyle knows immediately that this is not consensual. Because I I thought so. I don't think so. I, I didn't think because so. Because he's he's beaten up his brother, but I think he's going to beat him up either way whether it's consensual or not. True, true. And that's what I think that's kind of where we leave this scene, but later she that's says true. you didn't believe me. Which I think is referring to this, like he got upset with her that she did this with her brother, with his brother, and she said, "You don't trust me. You didn't believe me." And, and uh, maybe that's true. And when she's packing her bag, he won't talk to her. Like, yeah, he's just sitting on the couch crying mm -hmm. because basically that's what happens here. He, they, the two of them fight real nasty fight, throwing each other against walls and punching each other in the face real hard, and like uninterrupted punches, like they're inviting each other to punch them yeah but at the end of the fight they're both still standing and then kyle walks out and he leaves he leaves her in there with, right and, with I don't, and like why would he be mad if he knew it wasn't consensual right and why would he be mad at her specifically? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so I, I don't think that i think he thinks she did this on purpose but then yeah so we cut back to their place where uh she's packing up while he just cries in the foreground uh she says her goodbye and she moves back to her folks place but I guess just for the night, because in the morning she's going to hop on a plane out to Los Angeles. Yeah. Her sister Loretta has a hundred questions for her sister about what things were like and why they broke up. And Jody doesn't have a better answer than people grow apart. This is just a thing that happens in relationships. But she could easily have just been like, "Have you have you met Kyle? <laughs> He's yeah. fucking or been awful." Like, oh yeah, his uh, his brother tried to rape me, and when he uh, stopped him, he didn't think that uh, it was rape. Yeah. Also, I saw him almost try to kill a guy the other day. But, <laughs> but now that I think about it, that. now that I think about it, that was actually pretty funny. Though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
He had to be there. <laughs> I Turns think, out you didn't have to be there. <laughs> yeah, it's still horrifying. <laughs> we cut to Kyle drinking at the Stallion under another song from the guy with the story credit because he probably had some contract about how many of his songs had to be in the movie. The next morning, Loretta helps Jody pack up her car and head to the airport, and Loretta supposes out loud that Kyle spent the night with another woman, which Jody obviously doesn't appreciate. Meanwhile, Kyle wakes up having spent the night in the Stallion parking lot because he just got drunk and passed out in his car, and he starts immediately for Jody's parents' place. Jody throws Loretta the keys to her car as a parting gift, and Kyle gets to Jody's folks too late. She already left, and Mom won't tell him, her flight information. Luckily for him, Loretta hates her sister and tells him exactly when the flight is leaving. Yeah, I, I, I like this little. Anxious. I like this little bit too, though, that Loretta is underneath the car already working on it. Yeah, she's, she's like, already. This is my car. I'm taking pride. Yeah, she's already covered in oil and doing maintenance on it. Yeah, and she's like, Shuttle to Dallas, flight 43, one o'clock. Hurry, Kyle. And <laughs> when I was watching this just now on my computer, um, Una came in and she was like, "Why is she hiding under the car?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think she's trying to fix it, sweetie. And she's like, she's going to get stuck. <laughs> That's good. We got the standard race to the airport, which I'm pretty sure is at least California, if not specifically Bob Hope Airport in Burbank, especially since there's palm trees on the parking lot. Uh, when Kyle gets to the airport, he drives needlessly into oncoming traffic, swerving back and forth down the lane for no apparent reason. He catches up with her, and he tries to talk her out of getting on the plane. Do you guys recall the last time a guy raced to the airport to talk his girlfriend out of leaving him? Would that be airplane? Airplane. airplane. <laughs> yeah. He tells her they can drive to California together, and she won't even have to be a flight attendant. Great. <laughs> you, you can give up on your dreams. <laughs> You've totally missed the points. An airport agent blocks his way as she boards her plane since he doesn't have a ticket, and Kyle jumps the railing and chases her to the plane, and then finally grants her permission to do some of the things that she wants to with her life as long as she doesn't leave him. Ugh. Airport security arrives to apprehend him, and Kyle races up the stairs to the plane until one of the men punches him hard, and he rolls back down the metal steps. Jody rushes to check on him, and he makes one final plea. Jody, come with me to California. Tell me you will. Of course I will. Of course I will. <laughs> As they walk together out of the airport, the guards do nothing to the man who just tried to fight his way onto a plane, and two women in line for the flight offer completely arbitrary dialogue. She's not going alone, they're going together. I've got a sister in Anaheim. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Great, lady. Ugh, this ending. When they get to Kyle's truck outside the airport, a tow truck driver is under to prepare a tow, and they just drive it away from him. Like, he's still under the back of the car when they drive it away. He's even got a ticket on the windshield. But right. But not that won't, that ticket won't apply to them in California. Right. And that's the end. <sighs> I mean, this movie was really, really bad to begin with, but it would have been mildly redeemed if she just got on the fucking plane and took off and be yeah. like, yeah. yeah, enough of this bullshit. I and don't know why he was even, there, like, just... If you're going to meet her in California, meet her in California. She already paid for the f ticket on this flight, and it's going to take her two hours to get to California, and she can set everything up when she gets there. Like, just let her go, man. This is, you're going to be driving for three days with this person. She's going to be late for the training program that she just signed up for. You don't have a place to stay. Yeah. Like, her friends invited her to stay. They didn't invite her and him to stay in California. Yeah, They still have to, to sell or 
exit the lease of whatever place they're living in now. Yeah. All that aside, just the fact that she's allowing him to control her in this way is just so infuriating and upsetting that I just, yeah. I, I want nothing to do with this film. Well, this movie is basically the country version of modern romance. But the problem is that the screenwriter thinks that you sympathize with the Kyle character. Yeah. He's so horrible every step of this movie. Like, yeah. there is, it's, he's awful. And it, I just the most don't... redeeming moment for him is when he says, I will let you do the things that you would like to do with your life. And it's like, nope, nope. Fuck you. That's not right. You're yeah. not letting me do these things. I am doing them. And that's his option of last resort. Yeah. Like he, cause he's already at the airport saying, I'll get a job and you won't have to work. It's like, it's so he's grasping at straws as what, as to what to say to this woman to keep her from leaving. And his last desperate plea is, I will let you do the things you want to do. And even even when she says no to that, he gets in her way so she can't get on the plane. It's yeah, like, I don't what are you doing? How we're supposed to be happy about this? I no. don't get it. But the difference is that when it was Albert Brooks's story, you weren't rooting for him. You're like the, you're supposed to hate the character by right, the end of the film. Right, right, right. But like, yeah, that's my question. I'm like, they they think that ending the film this way, we would be like, aw, I'm so happy they're back together. I think there are some screenwriters who think that. No matter what, the two characters should end up together because they started the movie together. Like, that's what the audience wants is for these people to end up together no matter what. No matter how awful they've been to each other. But it's gross. This was directed by David Green, not David Gordon Green. Uh, He has mostly TV directing credits back to the 50s. Uh, Closer to this, he directed Godspell in 73 and Roots in 77. This was his last theatrical feature, but it's followed by 30-some TV movies. So he did keep working. The writer and story credit go to Michael Kane, K-A-N-E. He has a story credit for Smokey and the Bandit 2 last year, and he still has screenplay credits in The Legend of Lone Ranger and Southern Comfort in 1981. He provided additional dialogue for Jaws 3D, uncredited, and later wrote All the Right Moves, 84's The Bear, and MacGyver episode Bitter Harvest, starring The Bear and Vanishing Point director Richard C. Serafian. The other story credit was for the singer guy that was on stage, Michael Martin Murphy. He wrote music for the Monkees and has mostly soundtrack credits for What Am I Doing Hanging Around and Wildfire. He also plays Pastor Micah in a movie called Wildfire released in 2020, and he wrote and performed most of the songs in this film. Cinematographer Dennis Dalzell, he was a DP on a few episodes of V and a bunch of murder she wrote. Okay. Jan Michael Vincent was Kyle. For 1980, we saw him in Defiance and The Return for a minisode. He also shows up in The Mechanic, Damnation Alley, Big Wednesday. Uh, he's String Fellow Hawk and Airwolf. And one of his last credits was as Bowling Alley Manager Sonny in Buffalo 66. Kim Basinger was Jody. This was her first feature. She's in LA Confidential, Batman. She was Domino in Never Say Never Again. She's Eminem's mom in 8 Mile. She's the stepmother in My Stepmother is an Alien. Michael Parks played Royce. We had him last year in North Sea Hijack, a.k.a. Folks. He's also in Tarantino's Kill Bill, where he plays the dual roles of Earl McGraw and Esteban Vejeo. Later, he shows up in Red State, Argo, Django Unchained, good stuff. Gaylord Sartain played Johnny Bob. He was Bimbo in Hollywood Nights. That's the the fatter cop. Mm -hmm. And he was B.B. Muldoon in Roadie. That was uh, Meatloaf's brother, or no, brother-in-law by the end of the film, but best friend at the beginning. Yeah. He's in a bunch of Ernest movies, but he's probably best known as 
Ed Couch from Fried Green Tomatoes or Sheriff Stucky in Mississippi Burning. Sierra Pachur played Mama. She was Lorraine Runningwater in Bronco Billy last year. John Chappell was Daddy. He was Captain Cleves in Brubaker last year. Tanya Tucker played Caroline. She's a popular country western performer with lots of soundtrack credits, including the use of Pecos Promenade in Smokey and the Bandit 2 last year. So that's Michael Caine used her in a couple things. Mm-hmm. She also gets a soundtrack credit in Tremors for the use of It's a Cowboy Love and Night. I think that's playing on the radio after the car gets buried. Yeah, where are the gold noldies coming from? Yeah. Around the time of this production, Tucker was in back-to-back relationships with Glenn Campbell and Merle Haggard, both of whom provided live music in Clint Eastwood movies last year. Aren't they a little old for her? That's country western for you. Mm. Were they Were they even that old in the 80s? I, I mean, if I mean, you ask me. They're dead now. <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely too old for her now <laughs> lewis van bergen played ransom he was a guard in stir crazy last year ted neely was wesley he was a singer in the band of hippies from our vanishing point review for patreon this year he's also jesus christ in jesus christ superstar another tarantino connection he appears in django unchained as tracker curtis credle played dale that's the guy who just needs holes uh, from ladies that's all he needs uh, he played Bates in Firestarter and Halls in the original Battlestar Galactica. Denone Camden played Cowgirl Number 2. She was Kendall Chapman in 98 episodes of Dallas. Last year we saw her as a stewardess in the record store where Steve Gutenberg works for the first five minutes of Can't Stop the Music. Richard Mole played Top Gun. He was a beat poet in American Pop earlier this season. Later this year he'll show up as the Abominable Snowman in Caveman. Nice. And Father Esteban in Evil Speak. But he's probably best known as Bull from Night Court. Yeah. I always think of Big Ben in House. And we've mentioned before that he appeared on Batman the Animated Series as Harvey Dent and Two-Face. Sissy Cameron played Royce's wife. I actually really like this actress. And it's a shame she's only in that one scene because she has sort of a, a funny lilt to her voice. And I just like the way she talked and I, I liked her energy. But she's only in that one moment. She plays Miss Goodbody in Happy Hooker Goes to Washington. She was Sugar in Baltimore Bullet last year, and later she'll be Sandy Latoy in Porky's 2. Jack Rader played Plant Foreman. He was Colonel Hargis in the 88 Blob and Police Chief Fowler in Outbreak. Gary Kelly played the airline interviewer. She was the exercise lady in Baltimore Bullet (laughs) that they're just watching (laughs) on the TV at the hotel. Uh, She was also an Easy Street model in Melvin and Howard. Easy Street is the TV show where they won their house. Alicia Brevard played Snoopy Lady. Who was the Snoopy Lady? Snoopy Lady? Um, probably the lady outside of the camper. That was listening in on them? Oh. Oh, yeah, you're probably right. Um, she played a female creature in Bigfoot in the 70s, and she was a showgirl in American Pop this year. But last year, she was Mother in The Man with Bogart's Face, the landlady who was like oh. three feet taller than him. Yeah. She's very funny. Uh, Cheryl Carter played Woman Customer. She's a nurse in 2010, The Year We Make Contact, and she's also Black Dynamite's mom in the movie Black Dynamite. Huh. That's the woman who uh, Kyle doesn't convince to buy a, yeah. a home here. Uh, Henry G. Sanders plays her husband. He played Prosper Denton in 47 episodes of Ava DuVernay's Queen Sugar. Dolores Aguirre was security guard. She's the general's daughter in Herbie Goes Bananas and Conchita in Seems Like Old Times, working in the kitchen for... Uh, Where was their security guard? At the airport. Oh, that makes sense. Stephen C. Bradbury played airport clerk. That's the guy who 
who tells him which gate to go to, I guess. Um, he's Judge McNamara in Law and Order Special Victims Unit. West Buchanan played Airport Agent. That's Crazy Ralph from Tuala Goodnight. That's the guy who who won't let him go to the plane because he doesn't have a ticket. Um, and he was also Mr. McCorkendale in The Long Riders. Kirby Buchanan is credited as Airport Police Number One. So I think that's the guy who punched him down the stairs. Um, and he has the same last name as West Buchanan, so possibly a relative. Um, but who knows? But isn't West Buchanan's name not West Buchanan? No, it is. Uh, in To All a Good Night, he was credited as Buck West. Uh. But his name is West Buchanan. Uh, Katie Moffat was special guest. She's the lead singer of the Great American Honky Tonk Band, who's performing on stage the whole time. And she sings duets with the guy who wrote all the music. She's also Maria and Billy Jack and has a soundtrack credit for writing and performing The Ring Song in that film. Those are all the credits I had for this one. Uh, you skipped Daryl Hannah. Oh, did I really? <laughs> wow. Uh, Daryl Hannah is Loretta. She also shows up in Kill Bill as L Driver, and she's in Splash, Clan of the Cave Bear, Roxanne, High Spirits, Crazy yeah. People, and more recently as Angelica Turing in 24 episodes of the Wachowski Netflix series Sense8, which I haven't seen, but I've heard good things about. Yeah, that's a... Uh the Wachowskis and um tom tickfer right that sounds right this movie is bad yeah, it's pretty bad it's not great it's i i really bad. don't like movies where i'm supposed to sympathize with a person and i don't and you tried to write them with a redemptive arc and it didn't work it was a complete misfire that was my problem with all night long which is currently at the bottom of my list where it's like i'm supposed to be on gene hackman's team here yeah no no yeah. this is wrong he was bad well and it's similar to um that one last year uh elliot gould yeah the elliot gould falling one. falling in love again yes which was also at the bottom of my list yes. last year yeah. so uh this is the worst kind of movie for me where i'm being asked to sympathize with a person who i hate and it's not ironic or anything it's not it's not intentionally terrible they really just gave jan michael vincent too many awful things to do in a row yeah and it doesn't help him that I already don't like Jan Michael Vincent. <laughs> like, even if this was an actor I liked, I would be frustrated. But it's worse that it's him. Well, because, like, for when we had John Travolta in Urban Cowboy. Right. Playing a very similar character. is like, I don't like this guy. Um, but at least it's John Travolta. Yeah. There's some, <laughs> he gets some redemption just from being John Travolta. But Jan Michael Vincent, and, and it's my own fault for not being familiar with, you know, his celebrated works. So literally the only Jan Michael Vincent movies I've seen came out in 1980, <laughs> the two that I mentioned before, <laughs> or this. Those are the only ones I've seen. So I think he's terrible. <laughs> I don't like him. Um, but it was also like the worst part of his career from what I understand. Like it was when he was in the depths of his substance abuse and yeah. uh, he was, you know, almost uh, unusable as an actor because he was not reliably showing up to set and he was impossible to ensure which I don't know why you take the risk with him on this. But it's crazy that he got to make a movie with Kim Basinger and Daryl Hannah. The only way that works out is if it's both of their first films, which this practically is. Yeah. yeah. But even Gaylord Sartain, I feel like, had more credit than showing up in this movie. <laughs> like, what are you doing in this? He should have been an urban cowboy. But they had Cooper Huckabee in that role. Mm. And Cooper Huckabee's just dreamy. Uh, I really don't have anything to say or add about this movie. It it resonated nothing in me. Um, I'm sorry I saw it. I have just no interest in It's a down. It's a thumbs down. Don't like, green light a movie based on a song. I think that's what we've learned. Yeah. I also feel weird that my Amazon history, Amazon Prime history now has it 
that you've watched, watched it like twice three in times. a row, yeah. three times in a row, and you're like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> Can I clear that out somehow? But it's free on there. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. <laughs> but it's free. It's still too expensive. It's worth your not worth your time. Yeah. <laughs> the brain cells you lose. Uh, yeah, thumbs down. Thumbs down, yeah. Uh, I need to look at my letterbox, don't I? So I have this one at uh, pretty close to the bottom. It is number 33 out of 35. Uh, the only things below it are Home Sweet Home and Scream. Uh, probably just production value-wise. Sure. They go below it. Um, and above it is Scared to Death. All right, Richard, what do you think in Letterboxd? Uh, I have it at number 29. Uh, so it is below Earthbound, uh, but above Harry's War. Hard Country is in 33 for me which is just below Permanent Vacation and just above Scream um, because technically it's a more finished film than Scream is. Yeah. But I hated everything about it and I hated the characters. And But I, I think the, the acting is at least good. All Night Long is, is if Jan Michael Vincent were phoning it in. I think Jan Michael Vincent is trying his hardest here. I think he's actually putting in the effort. <laughs> but in, in All Night Long, Barbara Streisand is just like, this is my line that I say now. And Gene Hackman's like, <laughs> and then they just do something reprehensible and then I'm supposed to feel bad for them. But uh, Hard Country, yeah. 33 out of 35. I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com. On Twitter today, we actually solved a mystery that uh, has been hanging around since our review of the Gong Show movie last year, wherein, for one of the montage sequences, a wrestler shows up, and we were like, this guy sounds like Jesse Ventura. He doesn't look like him, because Jesse Ventura had hair at the time, Mm -hmm. but he sounds exactly like Jesse Ventura. Is this a relative of Jesse Ventura's, or is this a a wrestler, or or is this Jesse Ventura, but he shaved his head for this character or something? And uh, we figured it out today, and it's actually a wrestler named hard-boiled Haggerty. oh and he's also in battle creek brawl he's the guy who kisses people before he kills them at the end of the <laughs> yeah. boxing matches so it's the same guy was in both of those movies i mean in that movie he's credited as hb but the hb stands for hard-boiled okay yeah. <laughs> like usual i don't i'm trying to think of other uh, mysteries we're still trying to solve that we can crowd crowdsource for i think uh i think that was a big one for us we also have a discord now Join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at vintagevideopodcast.com slash discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Atlantic City, which IMDb describes like so. In a corrupt city, a small-time gangster and the estranged wife of a pot dealer find themselves thrown together in an escapade of love, money, drugs, and danger. We leave you now with a trailer for Atlantic City. Atlantic City. It will change every idea you ever had about winning and losing. You looked. You spilled your drink. No, no, no. You took your eyes up. You allow me to distract you. Teach me stuff. Susan Sarandon. Like what? She has the ambition. What you know. Burt Lancaster has the experience. Now think about it. Just hand him this. I'll wait outside. Hey, you ain't trying to set me up now, are you? I'm trusting you. I left a fortune in your apartment. 
Alone, they might not make it. Together, they might not survive. Because they're betting their lives on one big score. Tell those hoods to leave the women alone. What they're looking for, I got. I watch you. What do you do when you watch me? Hey, Foxy Grandpa. I look at you. You take off your blouse, then you run the water. You open a box of blue soap, and you take the soap in your hands. It's over now. I want the money. Give me the money. You run your hands under the water to feel the temperature. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Give me the money. Now. Then you take a bottle of gold perfume. And you you saved my life. The money. Money, money, money. Me and my mother. Glad to see your born again. Bert Lancaster. Anyone ever take care of you like I did? You feel safe. Susan Sarandon. Yes. Atlantic City. For everyone who's ever needed one more chance.